0: Thank <laughs> you. editor, and Michelle Abroad, LLC. And I'm very happy to share this hour with you. We examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. Now you guys know i like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel. And though we've grown onto our own platform, we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I want to say thank you to my guest on the December 20th show, author and tattoo artist, Hitachi Choparazzi. You can find Chop's books on Amazon.com and at his website, HitachiChoparazzi.com. That's h i t a c h i c h o p a r a z z i dot com or at Publishing dot com. If you missed that show, make sure you listen to the replay. You can find our complete show archives, including the December twentieth show, at the podcast dot com. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Genius is Common movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. This is a really important message, particularly for the youth, but it's not just for the kids, guys. We adults sometimes need to be reminded that the world needs our genius too. Learn more about the Genius is Common movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. Now, it is the holidays, so we're still on vacation, and I hope you enjoy this encore presentation of an interview I had with Christian coach and inspirational speaker, Dr. Kendra Davis-Burke. Enjoy. Now, I am
1: super pleased to have my guest tonight. I had so much fun talking with her a couple months ago that I said, you have got to come on the show. She's just fabulous. She is a talented author and coach, and I think you will enjoy meeting her as much as I did. Dr. Kendra Davis-Burke is a 1999 and 2009 graduate of Winston-Salem State University and a 2016 and 2017 graduate of Apex School of Theology. She is an internationally licensed and certified alcohol and drug counselor, clinical supervisor, and sex offender treatment specialist. In 2010, Dr. Kendra established K-Metamorphosis, a Christian counseling organization whose mission is to utilize a holistic approach to inspire others to face their fears, giving voice to their present truth and empowering them with the tools to heal and recover with dignity. As a result of working with Dr. Kendra, individuals are inspired to embrace all of their life experiences, but as a student, not as a victim. Dr. Kendra is also a published author of Christian and self-help books, which can be found on amazon.com. So I'd like to welcome Dr. Kendra Davis-Burke somewhere in the middle with Michelle Barrard. thank you Dr. Kendra for coming on the show
2: well hello hello thank you so much again for having me and this awesome opportunity to share um, with wisdom and knowledge to all of those that's on the audience on tonight and those who will be calling in I do appreciate this opportunity to be a part of this awesome venue
1: well, thank you. I, you know, I had so much fun talking with you when we spoke. I think it was like late November, early December, and you just had so much um, energy, vitality, and the work that you're doing is really cool, and I just wanted to get to share that with the audience. And so you, you asked me for, you know, hey, do you have any questions for me? And I don't really structure the show that way. I start out the show with two questions and that really feeds the rest of the show for me and so I'm going to ask you those two questions because I think that they lead right into what you're doing and why you do it. So here are my two questions. You ready? Yes. All right. Dr. Kendra Davis-Burke, who are you and how did you become who you are today?
2: Well, I, I describe myself as being an agent of change. I believe that I use my life, my life experiences, that's the good and the bad, all-inclusive of the things that I have gone through that have made me to be such an agent of change that I'm able to share experience, strength, and hope with others. And I think the most important thing that makes me so effective is my transparency and the ability to be real to be raw and to be relevant. I just believe in order to see change in people, you have to be willing to be transparent with them and tell the truth. So I think many times um, change doesn't occur because we don't have people in society that will speak truth and be honest in order to be that agent of change as a beacon of light. I know that as a servant, that's what, what my life is, I'm a servant to the fullest, that I use my experience, I use um, the light that's within me to darkness in others and what has made me and brought me to this place is those ups and downs and those bumps and bruises the mistakes I've made so it's not just the successes that have made Kendra Davis to be who I am but it's those moments when I was broken those moments when I was broke busted and disgusted. it was those seasons when I was at my bottom that I had no other choice but to look up and to rely on my faith and my relationship with God that is those things that have made me who I am. So I'm a product not just of my environment, but I'm a product <clears> of <throat> excuse me, of those individuals who have served as a mentor to me who was not selfish at all but willing to share their platform, share their wisdom and their knowledge with me. So I I try to be what Mahatma Gandhi talks about, being the change that I want to see in the earth. And the way I do that is by serving people and serving worthy causes in the earth.
1: Wow. That is such a powerful statement. And I wanna, you know, a couple of things just like jump out at me. So, you know, I, I jot notes here and so I've got a couple of things I'm gonna I've got starred. You said that you are a servant. Who do you yes. serve and why do you serve them?
2: Well, I know the target population I'll call my tribe is those individuals who've experienced rejection, abandonment Um, Individuals who um, what society or others may not always see their potential in. And why I advocate for them and fight for them, because I I remember what it was like being the underdog and somebody advocated for me. And many times folks won't invest in what looks like to be a crashing uh, product or they don't invest in stock that doesn't look like it's going to bring in dividends, but I invest by serving others, by empowering them with resources and tools that they can live their best life and that they can tap into the strength that's on the inside of them and to realize that it's not how you start, but rather it's how you choose to finish. And so I choose to help people to help themselves. I'm just inclined to believe that if I help you with information and with knowledge and you apply that information to your life, then not only will you be able to survive for today, but I'm giving you something that's of so much immense worth and value that you can live and survive for a lifetime and then hopefully in return that that individual that I have served will then take those tools and resources and serve others. So it's somewhat like the butterfly effect that those small changes will make a big impact. Big impact. So those small changes, those small investments, if it means investing time, investing a smile, investing a positive word, a word of encouragement, investing a prayer, that could be the very thing that could make or break someone. So I advocate for individuals who are broken and rejected, I also serve individuals who are addicted to drugs and alcohol, individuals who have been affected by mental illness. I advocate for offenders and ex-offenders because I just believe everybody deserves a second chance to make a first impression. So there are many individuals, perhaps they've never committed a crime or have never been locked up, but God knows if it wasn't for the grace of God... There go I. Mm -hmm. So I advocate for those Mm -hmm. individuals, men and women who have been incarcerated, that they will have an opportunity to be um, brought back into society and be rehabilitated. But the truth is, when we really get honest, some of the folks that I advocate for have never been rehabilitated. That perhaps they, uh, what society would say, is they grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, and it seems like that they have just lived a hard life. So I just believe if I can just inspire them and to motivate them to start where they are and begin to see themselves like a seed. So when I say like a seed to see the seed of potential on the inside of them and then they begin to take the dirt and begin to the dirty situations, the dirty things that was thrown on them. And then when they get to that place and begin to offer gratitude and to just be able to say the dirt in my life was necessary to germinate the seed of greatness on the inside of me. The breaths mm. and the bruises in my life was necessary in order to provoke me to reposition me So when I start talking to people and and, and stirring their faith up and they begin to look beyond where they are right now and they see themselves somewhere in the future and they look beyond the past phase and see that yes, I can and yes, I will, then I know that my serving and my living has not been in vain. Been in vain. So it's my goal and my desire that my fingerprints will be left on the life of some broken soul, some offender that society said that they would never give, they would never be anything, that they were just going to always be a menace to society. So I choose to advocate and I choose to serve for them. I choose to serve for individuals who at times will never be able to repay me, but I serve them out of truth and authenticity and I invest in their lives, invest in their futures because I believe that what's to come for them is better than what has been.
1: Wow, that's awesome. And, you know, you mentioned um, working with offenders in particular, and that is something that has really just I don't want to say it's popped up on my radar, but it's become much more of a focus of mine or or an area of concern in, that I have seen. And I wonder in your work, ha, what have you found to be the the conditions that you find a lot of um, folks who are incarcerated or formerly incarcerated are in, and and what may be part of their struggle in terms of getting back into society and uh, kind of stabilizing and, and developing a new life for themselves.
2: I believe it's the mindset and the, and the mentality, so when we talk about offenders and their desire to break the cycle of recidivism, which I know to be crime and punishment, many individuals are doing the best that they can with what they have, so when we start looking at pro-criminal values and pro-criminal associations, so sometimes as sociologists when we try to understand the mindset of an offender, sometimes you may judge and you may look at them and say they could have did better. but when you look Look at someone who grew up in foster care and um, group homes and, you know, one thing after the other. Many of them have been doing the best that they could with what they have, but it takes someone that comes along that's able to look beyond their faults and look beyond their character defects and begin to show them a better way and to begin to, to give them hope for the future. Because when I'm working with my guys and, and my ladies in, in the prison setting, I tell them if I can get this in your head, you can get it in your hand. If I can show you how to get your mind right, how to mind your mind and start thinking on another level, then you'll be able to obtain absolutely anything. I just simply believe that nothing stands in between a person who is focused and who is determined. And then I also think, in addition to mindset being a hindrance, I also think preparation. Many times some people are sitting and waiting and blaming other people that it's the white man's fault, it's this man's fault, it's that man's fault. But I'm saying, "Uh uh-uh, boo, you are your own rescue. You have the ability to rescue yourself. When you make a decision to get up and to show up for your life, it doesn't matter how long your criminal record is because everybody with a criminal record is not still struggling, you know, in that same mindset. So if I can build their mind and build their thinking, but most importantly, build their spirit. If you can get to the spirit of a man, a broken spirit produces a contrite heart. So if I can get to that broken spirit and begin to perform what I call spiritual CPR and I begin to use, if it's the word of God or use encouraging thoughts or or just use poems and just being present in the moment with that person and being able to empathize with them, I'm able to breathe life into them. And almost like they're one one thousand, two one thousand, three one thousand and sometimes people just need to be in your presence so they can absorb your energy and they can absorb the hope that you have on the inside of them and that's when they begin to see that possibility is on the other side of this struggle. And then they'll have a desire and a drive to start preparing. So I tell folks, don't tell me you're going to start a business if you ain't got no business plan. Don't tell me you're looking for a job and you ain't updated your resume. Because I just tell folks, I just believe that success is when opportunities meet a prepared person. So if you go ahead and prepare your business plan, your resume, prepare your mind, then opportunities are endless, and they got to come to you. So I just believe it. You start thinking it, and begin to manage your mindset. Opportunities will, be, will begin to come because the laws of attraction are so true. And we know that there's a proverb um, in the Bible, but also there's an author by the name of James Allen. He he expounds on it so well in his book. He talks about as a man thinketh in its heart. So if you can start helping people to de-weed, de-weed the flower bed of their thought life. Because for some folks who've been broken and in poverty and incarceration, bound by addiction, it's so many dead weeds that's been planted in their mindset that it's choking the life out of their creativity. It's choking the life of possibilities that they don't see anything beyond what's going on right now. But when you start giving them hope and giving them courage, they start de-weeding. They begin, begin to be the master gardener in their own mindset so with that being said I help them to prepare their mind prepare their thoughts and look beyond what's going on right now and begin to dream again and begin to see themselves living on another level
1: wow so now let me ask you this because you know everybody's had their hopes dashed Uh, everybody's had a dream they've been chasing after and it seems so hard to get to what and I really wonder what is it that you can share about your moments when, as you said, you were broke, busted, and disgusted that helps people resonate and connect with you who have been in these dire situations.
2: Well, I'm, I'm definitely a strategizer that I help people to get a strategy. So I'm not one that you're going to send me an invitation to your pity party and I'm going to stay there with you. Mm-mm. we got to come on up out of this. So we're going to li- <laughs> I'm going to listen and assist, but then I'm going to help you to come up with a strategy how you can change your life and how you can change whatever it is that you're struggling with. So I think there are some necessary ingredients for anyone who's striving to fulfill a goal or to live a dream, First you got to have some resilience. So when I say resilience, I'm talking about have the ability to keep pressing. Even when you feel like your grind is in vain, you feel discouraged. You gotta have that resilience that says, even if I fail, I'm gonna get up, dust myself off, and I'm gonna get back in the game and keep trying. Then you got to have some persistence that no don't mean no. So one person may say no, but that just simply means that you're not my target audience and you're not who I am to serve. And then I say you gotta have faith. You gotta have that measure of faith to believe that what you have to offer, that whatever that goal is—if it's a book, if it's a business, whatever it is that you're gonna you're gonna do—that goal that you have—you gotta have faith to believe that what you have to offer this world, that somebody is waiting for you to get it. So you've got to have some drive and some passion about your spiritual baby. So I say, your book, your project, your dream—is your, it's your baby. So when you're pregnant with the promise, just like a woman who's figures physically pregnant with a baby, she has to begin to prepare and have faith that in, in nine months or three trimesters that she going to give birth to that thing. So whether it's a man coming out of prison, he, he's pregnant with a promise that he's going to be successful, be able to take care of his family and no longer have to break the law to feed the law. Come on here, somebody. So when uh-huh. I talk about breaking the law to feed the law, many individuals that they can't get a job, they resort back to what they know how to do. Breaking the law for slinging dope, getting a package, flipping it in order to feed their kids. But when you teach a man how to fish, not only will he eat for a day, but he can eat for a lifetime. So it takes persistence. It takes some resilience. It takes uh, hope. It takes some mental strength, not only physical strength, but mental strength and stamina that you will not be denied. You will not be defeated. And you've got to have some mentors. So I think it was Sir Isaac Newton that said, if I am to be great, I'm great because I stood on the shoulders of some great people. So you got to have people in your life that will push you to the finish line, some people in your life who will serve as your midwives, who will not allow you to quit, some individuals who will get in the ring with you when you're tired and call a timeout or then call you on your stuff. You don't need people that's going to be yes people because yes people are, are yes you all the way back to the bench that you ain't living the life that you want. So you need people in your life that's going to hold you accountable to your dreams Accountable to your goals And I, I just simply believe That there are Four types of people In this world So as people Begin to uh, to um, Evaluate Who's in your corner You got the adders the subtractors, the multipliers, and the dividers. So let me break this down for you, Michelle. So the adders Mm -hmm. are people that add to your life. They typically have something positive to say. They're encouraging. They're motivating. Then you got the subtractors. Honey, they like leeches, parasites, and ticks. These are the individuals that will latch hold to you, and they'll suck and suck and suck. They'll suck you dry. (laughs) As long as they need you, they right there. But as soon as you don't need, they don't need you no more. They're like a Tick. They didn't fell on off. You don't see them no more. You know, like a tick on the dog's butt. So as soon mm-hmm. as that tick, got filled up is out of there. And then you got individuals who are dividers. Who are the dividers? The dividers are individuals who will break you down to your lowest common denominator. These are the folks who will never believe in your dream, folks who will never, they're always going to try to talk you out of it. Well, why are you going to go back to school? Why are you going to write a book? Why are you going to start a business? And you got to be the person to say, why not? But see, the divider, if you're not careful, if you ain't got sense enough to cut them back, and if they tearing up your, your serenity and got you not living in a a place of peace, then you got to learn how to cut the suckers loose, because sooner or later if you start off, Michelle, as a strong 100, but you hooked up with a dividing two, because they still got a poverty mentality, sooner or later your strong 100 is going to be a little old 50, and if you ain't got sense enough to get them off of you, your 100 was reduced to a 50, now you were 25, and then sooner or later you're going to be $12.50 and if you uh-huh. still don't cut them out, because some people, they're just so committed, it's a false sense of loyalty A false sense of obligation that they stay connected to people that they're really not in covenant with. They stay connected with people that's really what Roberta Flack say is killing them softly, but they ain't got sense enough to disconnect from that type of stuff. So then, next thing you know, they stuck. Uh, you know I use a little slogans when I'm talking to my folks. You stuck on stupid, mm-hmm. sliding on ceiling, parked on doors, sliding on ceiling. You wondering how did I get here? Because you should have cut some folks back. So if you're gonna me be, be to the get to the finish line, you gotta evaluate who's in your corner. And then last but not least is the multipliers. The multipliers are people you may not even talk to them every day, but when you do talk to them, they have a way of stirring you up. They have a way of reigniting your faith. You believe you can do anything. Honey, you got a dream a vision. You're going to have an ice cream truck. You done got your strategy. You're going to sell sickles on the north side and uh dazs and Ben and Jerry's on the west side. So you got to have some multipliers, some dividers in your life who will stir your faith up. And then sooner or later you'll be believing you can fly. You can touch the sky. You start breaking the spirit of average. You start pushing yourself out of your comfort zone. But it's only when you have people in your corner who will hold you accountable to your dream, and they dream. They believe so much in your dream that they ain't gonna let you die dreaming. But they gonna make sure that your dream and your vision comes to pass. I get excited, so Michelle, you have to stop me, girl. So uh, let me hey, just pause
1: man, right there. did I answer your question? You did. I have no no reason to stop you when you were talking like that because I totally agree with you. I think it's really interesting too because one of the things that I had to come to at some point in my life was that you can love people but some people you have to love from a distance Mm. you know so it's because sometimes those subtractors (laughs) are maybe your own family members right or or people that you've been friends with a long time and you may just have to love them from a distance it's not that you don't love them but maybe they just don't have um what you need and you don't you can't take that on board
2: Yes, ma'am. I believe it was Rick James that said, "You gotta love them and leave them." (laughs) You remember that song? Yeah, bye, you gotta love them, but you gotta know how to say, "See you later, bye." I give, honey, I know how to give folks the benediction. Do you hear me? I put my right hand in the air and I wave it like I just don't care, and I say, "May the Lord watch between me and thee while we're absent one from another." Cause I got a goal, I got a vision, I got something on my mind, and hooking up with you, I ain't gonna get there. So you got to know when to give people the benediction in your life, and it don't make them a bad person. So let me let me just let me clarify that. Yeah. When you have to cut people out of your life or cut people out of your business plan or cut them out of your dream or your vision, it don't make them a bad person, but what it does mean is that their season in your life is over, that the chapter that they served as one of the characters in your life, it is finished. So you got to know when to say it is finished and when to move on and get to your next season. Does that make sense? Yep,
1: yep, yep, yep. Absolutely. Yep, I agree. I agree. Well, and also it doesn't make you a bad person because I think sometimes right. there's a certain guilt that you get, especially if you're dealing with, you know, friends that you've had a long time, family members. Sometimes you get a little bit of uh, a guilt. You feel a little guilt for putting yourself and your, your dream first. Mhm. And people have to, to
2: make you feel guilty so not even, right. if, even if the guilt doesn't come within people will try to make you feel guilty or will even try to play mind games and try to manipulate you when you don't do what they want you to do you know what i'm saying but you've got to take care of your own self so you know you know what's best for you so i think when you don't have the ability to consult yourself then you'll find yourself being a chameleon, getting in and changing your dreams and your desires to fit everybody else because you're pleasing everybody, but then you're not pleasing, you're not true to yourself. So Shakespeare said, To thy own self be true. But when you don't know what you want, you just like that little lady on coming to America, whatever you like, <laughs> and you just
1: doing what everybody else wants you to do. <laughs> yeah, you talk, the girl had jumped up on one foot. Hop on, <laughs> Eddie Murphy's on, <laughs> hop up and down, bark like a dog. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, tell me again. Tell me more about the spiritual CPR that you um, perform. What would a program like, if if someone is working with you, what kinds of things do you do with them to help give them the spiritual CPR to help them build themselves back up?
2: I'll, well, I use CPR as the acronym C. P-R. The C is, first of all, you may have to close some doors. What doors do you have open that's giving negativity access to you? What doors do you have open that's causing doubt to have access to you? So I help people to identify how did you get to where you are? So we're sitting down having a uh, having a conversation. If it, it, that could look like um, I use art therapy, genograms, having people to begin to um, draw things out, and then I help them to be able to connect the dots. Because I like the topic of your show somewhere in the middle. Because sometimes people get stuck. Somewhere in the middle, because they're not who they used to be, but they're not quite where they want to be. So sometimes people get stuck somewhere in the middle, and they need a little direction. So in order to get that direction, sometimes we got to go back and visit some of the dark areas in their life. And I know it may be a little intimidating to them, but when you know you're carrying light, and you know that the light of God and your higher power and your carrying principles, and that you're empowered in order to go to some dark places with some folks, you ain't scared. At I don't know about you, Michelle, but I ain't scared of the dog. So I go mm-hmm. into dark places with people into their path to identify some of those open doors. For some individuals, it was how they were raised, and it was the mindset of the people in their environment. So if you're going to do CPR, first of all, you got to help people to identify the open doors and then shut those doors. It could be doors in their mind, their thinking process, because some individuals believe that um, living from paycheck to paycheck is the best that they're ever going to have or being dependent on Section 8 and food stamps and Medicaid and I'm not trying to shine or clown nobody because Kendra mm-hmm. Davis was one of those persons that I grew up in poverty grew up in uh, public housing was dependent on Medicaid and food stamps and then when I got up in age I was on Section 8 myself but when I identified that this was a generational pattern that my family had experienced these same things it was because some people invested time in me that i became to close the door. So uh, the same thing that people did for me, I do it for others. So I help them identify those open doors, and I identify those areas of vulnerability so you can close the doors and that you won't keep repeating the same cycles over and over again. The letter P stands for prayer. Um, anyone that knows me knows that I am definitely an advocate for prayer and intercession. Because I realize as a servant, there's not but so much that I can do. I am powerless over people. I'm powerless over their circumstance and their situations. But I know a man, I know a source that is greater than me, who who endows me with power, who endows me with strength and insight. So I know when I go to God in prayer and I begin to intercede, he He, he allows me to have insight insight and glimpses on things that I didn't know, and I'm able to know without knowing, and I'm able to see without seeing in order to help people get to the next level in their life. So we help them by closing the doors, identifying those doors, closing them, through prayer and intercession, and then I use affirmations to aura, resuscitate. So I give people homework assignments like um, finding positive words and affirmations that they can say to themselves, because I just believe it's not what you're called, but it's what you choose to say to yourself. Who is not what you call, but it's what you choose to answer to. So when you start answering and you start speaking words of life into your own self, and when you begin to look at yourself in the mirror, you may not be a two, but you'll be the best 22 that you are. So especially with women, as they're dealing with image issues and self-esteem mm-hmm. and not feeling like they're they're like this person and that person, but when you can em- empower people through affirmation, it resuscitates their faith, and it causes them to begin to see themselves the way God sees them. And they can say to themselves, "Self, girl, you're a bad girl. You's a brick house. you a bad mama-jama. And you begin to have <laughs> appreciation for who you are and what you have, instead of spending time groping and complaining about what you're don't have or or what you don't look like. So with CPR... That could be a group session. So if it's a group setting, I, I, I perform spiritual CPR. I get invited to go places and to speak. Um, I do group sessions at several halfway house facilities in the community. One of the halfway houses um, is for females, and this includes women who have come out of prison, women out of domestic violence situations, women struggling with drugs and alcohol, so women just with issues. So is there in those, I do individual counseling sessions there, and I also do group sessions there. So their spiritual CPR looks like one-on-one time that I'm able to talk behind closed doors in a confidential setting. And confidentiality is a big thing because you know in this day and time, everybody that you confide in is not keeping yourself confidential. Because yeah. some folks saying they're praying for you, P-R-A-Y, are really P-R-E-Y, They uh-huh. all your stuff that you just shared with them out to the street, and they share it with everybody else. So confidentiality, if you're going to be a beacon of light, and to serve people, people have to trust you, and you have to be trustworthy and not somebody who's constantly sharing people's um, transparencies and their indiscretions. So at the halfway house, I, I actually do that. At one of the other halfway houses, I actually serve um, a mixed population with males and females, so CPR there, it looks the same with groups, individual sessions, and then I also advocate and collaborate with other nonprofit organizations. So, some of these organizations I may go in; they contract with me to go in and to do professional training and development with their staff to to build camaraderie with the team members. So, um, for me, as that beacon of light, like I talked about, that age that age change agent, um, I. My life is is like c p r that I'm constantly serving people on one platform or the or another, so if it's in my professional life or my personal life in ministry, I'm serving people and providing c p r
1: well, I am just overwhelmed. you know I told you this before i really i love the work that you're doing, and I'm also interested in the particular challenges that women face um especially women who are incarcerated or or formerly incarcerated, I would imagine that they have a unique set of challenges. Some of it overlaps with the men, but we know from society that women have slightly different struggles. What do you find uh, yourself dealing with, particularly with women?
2: Well, especially with women in the correctional setting, there are definitely some disparities comparing women in correctional settings versus men. Um, we know that in our society, it's the 21st century, but there's still a double standard. Um, it's amazing. I just did a training this week. I was working with some um, counselors in the prison, and we were talking about women in treat women in prisons, and for a charge that their male counterpart may have committed. That male may have got less time on their sentence compared to some of the women. So, some of the Mm. women get more time on their sentence. I'll give you a prime example. Female was charged with writing checks, so fraud, fraud, fraud. So, with checks, she got a 13 year sentence for writing checks. And that seems like a harsh penalty for check writing. But when I began to think about now if a male did that same crime, would they have gotten 13 years? And wherein I don't, I don't have the the dog, dog in the fight when it comes to the sentencing grid or anything like that. But when we start looking at the patterns that some women are getting more time on their sentence compared to males. Um, and then women have a whole other set of issues and corrections than uh, males because they have their children to worry about. I know that they have fathers too, but women have tend to be um, the sole provider for, for um, their children, so they have that burden to worry about who's going to take care of my children and, and housing, you know, when they're who's going to make sure that they're getting their medical care in school and, you know, those sorts of things. And then, of course, you know, women have um, mental health issues just like, you know, the males do as well, but, you know, women process issues and things differently. So in corrections, men may not exhibit the same level of emotions and things that bother them, but women are very open and transparent about those those issues and things that concern them. And then when we start thinking about homelessness, um, when women, you know, may come out of prison, just women in general struggling with addiction and homelessness, women trying to survive on the street is a, is a different struggle than a man trying to strive um, survive on the street, so um, partnering with homeless shelters and organizations to serve women and to make sure that they are prepared with insight and knowledge on how to meet those women's needs holistically, so not just to provide them shelter but being able to provide a listening ear and to be non judgmental and to be able to support them from a place of love and from a place of hope and you know just provide um, those words of hope, providing resources, because definitely um, women will need resources, just as men. But, you know, women, you know, as women, one woman to another, sometimes we just need a sister. We just need a friend mm-hmm. to just listen to us and to be there, to be present in the moment.
1: Well, and you know what I had um, read about recently, sometime last year, I read, and I hadn't even thought about this. Homeless women have actual different physical concerns as well about their, you know, if they're on the street, Um, Mm -hmm. hygiene, for example, Right. you know, if they're on their periods, what do they do? You know, how do they get supplies if they're homeless and don't have income? Uh, All of these, these are things that a lot of times, you know, those of us who, thank goodness, are not in that situation take for granted, oh, we can just run up to the CVS, Right. Um, but you can't necessarily do that if you're out on the street. You know, we can go in and get a shower. And, and all of those things are even more sensitive, particularly for women who are of childbearing age and are still doing that stuff. So what, what kinds of resources are um, you finding are available to women for some? Do you know of any of these kinds of organizations that are helping with some of these things in different areas that maybe our listeners might want to be aware of?
2: Um, Definitely, so even when listeners are listening from all parts of the country, the United Way is one of those organizations that's um, touching – nonprofits from all over so typically the United Way will be a good place to plug in to find some of those organizations but here in in North Carolina we have different homeless shelters and um, resources specifically for women, battered women's shelters and a lot of church groups ministries actually have benevolence funds and women's uh, ministries that actually provide support and wraparound services for women who are in crisis, um, and then when the rubber meets the road, you know, many times people get in survivor mode and they do what they got to do. So if that means resulting to crime, if it's um, you know, it's sad but it's true. When many women result to prostitution in order to get their needs met, and, and males prostitute as well. But many women um will use their body in order to get their needs met, and some often even rely on public um restrooms in order to bathe, washing clothes on their hands. Um, You know, so There is resources But then there are some resources That have somewhat dried out and, And many women, you know, they do what they need to do And with this whole issue of mental illness In our country It is such a A big problem, but a problem that not enough resources are available. So we know that we live in a country that we desire to have health care for everybody, but for a person who's dealing with psychosis like schizophrenia, and they're having audiovisual hallucinations and perhaps they're Having all kinds of things that's manifesting as a result of their mental illness or dealing with bipolar, anxiety disorders, um, the disassociative personality disorders. So people are struggling, and, and unless there's people who are trained and have insight that's willing to help walk them through the process, you can't tell somebody with schizophrenia, go down here to the local mental health, and they're going to get you worked out. Because they may not even be able to distinguish left and right and north, you know what I'm saying? To get on the bus, and you know, so sometimes we need people to walk people through the process and how to navigate these systems, and even with women in the military and coming home from the military. So there's a lot of disparities, disparities problems, issues, and, and obstacles, but we have to learn how to be that change. And if we can just help one person, And if we can just make the difference in one person, each one can reach one, we can begin to start making a change and making a difference in the people in our country.
1: Well, I I have a question that has come in from a listener. Okay. And um, that question is, and they said, if it's not too personal, (laughs) what was the event that occurred that changed your life and put you on this path?
2: Well, um, I actually grew up in poverty. Um, I, my Both of my parents uh, were addicted to substances, and those um, substances led us to actually being homeless. So I can recall mm-hmm. actually coming home, and our apartment was padlocked. So my brother and I, we broke into the house, you know, survival mode. We broke into mm-hmm. the house. And we actually climbed through the window um, to get enough clothes to to last us for you know a few days until my parents could figure this out. And we actually um, we went and lived with someone else in the neighborhood. Um, his name was Romeo Clayton. We actually went and lived at his apartment with he and his wife and their children um, for a few days. And then from there, my parents was able to get another place or whatnot. And then we ended up homeless again because until you deal with the root of an addiction you can go from one house one apartment to the next and then the same thing will happen all over again so we found mm-hmm. ourselves living in a house with no lights no water with rats that was big as kittens, roaches Mm -mm. that dared you to step on them, and it was in those moments that I had to use the same thing that I preach and teach to other people. It's because I lived through it, and I know that I didn't have to become a statistic, because I actually went, and I talked to a counselor, and I told them about what I was encountering and what was going on in my home life, parents on drugs and addicted, and um, this one particular person said to me, well, if you have a baby, you can get two 72, Medicaid, and food
1: stamps. Uh-uh.
2: Well, I wasn't uh-uh. the sharpest knife in the drawer, but sugar, I knew that having no baby, if I was already struggling, that was not going to be the answer for me to go and have a baby. But many individuals can't decipher that, and they go and start having having children in order to survive. But I knew that there was more in me to be done by me. So even during that season, it was a hard season, and God knows it was, but I thank God that I had some great teachers because I learned a long time ago. that's one thing that my mother did teach me. Although she um, was in her addiction, she taught me that you're going to go to school and that you're going to get an education. So I knew that perhaps education was going to be my key to breaking the cycle, that education was so important. So where in my brother, my brother's name is Kedrick. So Kedrick and I both, we grew up in the same situation. Um, Kedrick decided to drop out of school because of the pressure and the barriers was just too much. So he dropped out of school and he took his own course With things. And he actually um, started selling drugs, ended up in and out of prison, that sort of thing. And he began to repeat the same cycles that my father did. So in addition to my Mm -hmm. father being an alcoholic, he oftentimes was in and out of prison, in and out of um, substance abuse treatment programs. So I got my first exposure to jails and prisons going to see my daddy. Um, that, Mm -hmm. That first encounter of what an AA meeting was, was when it was family day at ARCA and family day at some of these treatment centers but going through all of that Kedrick and I took two different paths so it doesn't make him a bad person but he took what he had and he tried to make the best of it but I knew that my life that it was so much more in me so I took a different route homeless going to high school I I was allowed to wash my clothes in home economics I was allowed to take showers in the gymnasium but somebody believed in me and then I got connected with a program called upward bound see I just believe that God will surround you with people who will mentor you out of the place of brokenness if you allow it if you allow yourself to be teachable and coachable see at that moment I have nothing to lose and nothing to prove I, I knew that I couldn't say my face and my butt at the same time, so I had to be willing to allow somebody to help me, because I didn't want to keep putting on layers and layers of clothes, because it was cold, and we didn't have heat, and we didn't have light, so I knew that I, in order to do something different, I had to become something different, so I got into this program called Upward Bound and in that program, the director of the program, her name was Miss Addie Hines honey, Miss Addie Hines was no joke she was determined that every individual who was in this program that you was going to be somebody and that you was going to go to college, so I, see are you following this story? I was a product of the projects I got connected mm-hmm. with some mentors who saw the potential on the inside of me and who wouldn't let me die dreaming who wouldn't let the greatness on the inside of me stay stuck in part and stuck in, in Fairchild. So it was at that moment I took heed to the feedback that I was receiving. And to God be the glory, not only did I graduate from college, went on to get a bachelor's degree, I stayed on the dean's list. Come on, here! Yeah. So I was breaking records. When the, when society said the best answer for me was to uh, have a baby and to drop out and to live happily ever after, there were some people that hearted knowledge and wisdom and seeds of hope on the inside of me and I would go to church and you know going to church even without my family it was friends and family in the church who would hold me accountable and you know would be sisters to me and you know those folks are still into my life today so it's those experiences that don't allow me to be bougie it's those experiences that keep me real that keep me humble because I remember what it was like to be homeless and I remember what it was life, to be broken, and to go through all of those things. So because I went through, and I was able to make it through, I just believe I got the keys that I can go back and help somebody else, that you don't have to be a statistic, you don't have to be a product of your environment, but that you can change the course of your life by beginning to take direction and and reigniting your faith and to be who God called you to be, not who society said. So I hope I answered that listener's question, but it was my life experiences, and and I'm very transparent. My life experiences, even in relationships, it it taught me how to uh, use discernment and my picker because I've I've been in some jacked-up, crazy relationships, but it was because of choices that I made, but it was only when the little girl on the inside of me, the rejected girl on the inside of me, when she healed and when she became whole, then I was able to make better decisions as it related to relationships, so I can go on on and on but that's the 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 mini short version of what has caused me to be so passionate about my work, about my life experiences and and what I do. I know that it is my purpose to use my voice to empower others to use my life experiences to empower others to live a successful and a productive life.
1: Wow. Well, I think um our listener got got the answer. That was a powerful testimony. I want to ask you, you mentioned the rejected little girl um, healing, being healed. Talk about, if you don't mind, how that rejection, that sense of rejection, sometimes influences people to make certain types of decisions that could be detrimental. Well, when you've been
2: rejected Um, And rejection can happen from the womb. So rejection doesn't have to be something that you was rejected by a person. So the spirit of rejection, so not trying to go too deep in theological here, but the spirit mm-hmm. of rejection can actually come from the womb. Let's say if a mother um, was already struggling and she didn't want to have a baby or the relationship who she was pregnant by, she didn't want to have this baby. And so that baby can be birthed in and out of rejection and in sorrow. And so then, you know, some children experience rejection because of who they look like or they look like this person or look like that person so then the seed of rejection is there and it begins to grow and it begins to grow out of control and then the next thing you know that person is finding themselves feeling rejected and they don't feel good about themselves they don't they're not able to identify their own self-worth and value and then They begin to attract people with other levels of dysfunction. They may be dealing with rejection themselves, and then rejected people will end up rejecting people, and then that level of hurt and the spirit of offense. So all of those things just kind of intertwine. But when you begin to start taking a moment and beginning to really understand that you're here with purpose and on purpose, like um, who was that, Miss Sealy? She told Mister, I may be black and I may be ugly, but I'm still here. So when yep. you understand that you are here on a, with purpose and on purpose and you have an assignment and that evidently God saw fit to, to allow you to be here, so even with your cute, plump self, your dog self, short-haired self, <laughs> whatever, when you begin to see that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, you begin to start healing. But then when you really begin to start believing it and then folks start saying, mm, she don't see herself the way that she used to see herself. Because, see, I was looking at myself from the lens that I was the fat girl in the hood. You know, mm. we would play little games, hide and go get it, and one, two, three, red light, and that kind of stuff. Because, you know, I was carrying an extra fluffy suit, so, you know, I couldn't run and keep up with them like everybody else. <laughs> so I was somewhat rejected being a fat kid, mm. rejected um, even with being the color of my skin. So living in, in poverty, you know, some even would reject you because you was a lighter hue or because you had longer hair. So there were several layers and layers and layers layers of rejection. So in my, mm-hmm. from what I was told with my mother's and father's relationship, um, just to give you a little background, my mother met my father when he was in prison. So he was in prison, he was working on the road squad or something from what they said, they fell in love, he got out of prison, they got married, and lived happily ever after. Well my father like a lot of fathers in the world was a rolling stone so my mother had already had my brother and then several a few months later she was pregnant again She didn't want to be pregnant again because she was struggling taking care of Kedrick and my daddy doing his thing or whatnot. So rejection was something that was just kind of already just residing on me, a residue. So Mm. when I began to embrace who I was, because I had struggled with rejection for a long time, and then when I began to understand my purpose and my destiny, I couldn't allow other people's opinion. I couldn't allow other people's thoughts. or or what they was going to say to stop me and to block me because really, Michelle, I had to embrace the fact that other people's opinion of me was none of my business. Let me pause for that. Okay. Other people's opinion of me was no longer, was none of my business, but when I was spending my time trying to make sure Mm. I was pleasing everybody, was codependent, taking care of everybody else, but I wasn't taking care of Kendra. But when I came to myself and began to really understood that I had purpose and destiny, that's when I began to be healed and set free from that rejection, and I began to say, I am not rejectable. I am not rejectable because evidently what I have to offer, my life, my experiences, is something of immense worth and value. And when I connect in the right environment, connect in the right tribe, somebody is going to appreciate the authenticity of Kendra Travon Davis. Come on here, somebody. So when there you I go. got healed and whole, it wasn't until then when I was broken and still struggling with rejection, I was still trying to fit in. But when I realized Jack is out the box and I am just my own brand, I am Kendra Davis. I'm my own brand. I don't have to be like nobody else. I can just be me. And in being me, it works for me. In being me, I'm able to help other people with being true and being transparent. So hopefully that helps somebody who's listening on tonight.
1: That is definitely a message for somebody. Somebody is going to definitely, definitely pull something of value from this this uh, call, this interview with you. You have so many wonderful just things to say and, and experience to share. So we're going to be wrapping up very shortly. So I want to ask you, if you had one bit of advice to give to someone right now who was in pain and who was feeling rejected, what would that be?
2: You are worthy. You are worthy and you're worth it. You're worth it. That when you understand your worth and your value. it's you may be going through pain, it's kind of like a dollar bill. So and I'm holding in my hand right now, Michelle, a twenty dollar bill. Mm-hmm. That person who may be hurting, may feel like this twenty dollar bill that you've been passed from one person to the next person, to the next person, to the next person. And perhaps to look at this $20 bill, all people see is that it's a 20 but they have no clue of the hurts, the pains, the brokenness in your life. They don't know the times that you was balled up, that you was left to dead. dead. They, they don't know about the scars in your life that when you hooked up in that relationship and you thought this was going to be the person and you thought everything was going to be happily ever, ever and they ripped you apart and left you in broken pieces and you felt like you, whoever's listening tonight, you may feel like this $20 bill that's ripped up and part of your heart is still with them and part of your heart has got to move on and you feel broken, you feel hurt. Perhaps you're listening tonight and you're feeling hurt because of a decision or betrayal or friends that walked away or something didn't go quite right on a job and you feel like that you're you're still at the bottom. But even if you're at the bottom, if you can look up, you can make it to the top. And if you can just find a strength, inner strength to know that you're worthy, like this broken $20 bill. If you can find the strength to begin to put yourself back together surrounding yourself with people who can identify, yes, you got some scars, yes, you got some bruises, yes, you got some bumps, but all you need, sugar, is a little scotch tape, all you need is a little CPR, all you need is a little experience, strength, and hope, and that's the scotch tape that will serve you and help to put you back together again. I'm reminded of a story when I was in Sunday school, they said, in case you're broken, stop by the Potter's house, in case you're weary, stop by the Potter's house, because The potter wants to put you back together again. So if you're broken tonight, if you're hurting tonight, there's a potter who desires to put you back together again, that he desires to heal you and to make you whole. And because you're worth it, because you are worth it, even with your mess up, he said you're still worth it. Even with with the difficulties and what they said about you and what they said was true, he said you're still worth it. Because you know why? This song come to mind to me, Michelle. It says, he thought I was worth saving, so he came and changed my life. Whoever you are tonight, you're worth it. You are worth it. You're worth the fight. You're worth the opportunity. You're worth it. So get back in the game and let's heal. All you got to do is C-P-R identify and close the doors, begin to pray your way through it. And prayer ain't got to be some great big religious uh, presentation. Just talk to God. Talk to your higher power and begin to allow his word and his presence to resuscitate you and surround yourself with people because you're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it.
1: Any other questions? Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. Well, yeah, I do have one more question. We are coming to the top of the hour, and we're going to be wrapping up. But what do you have going on right now that you want our listeners to know about?
2: Every Saturday morning, I actually um, do, it's called the Hour of Power. This is a prayer and empowerment call that I focus on the listener's needs. So every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, they can connect with me on Facebook Live, or they can actually call in on a free conference call.com. So that's every Saturday morning. Um, You can always go to my website, KendraDavis.com. So if you know my name, you know how to connect with me. I am Kendra Davis. That's K-E-N-D-R-A, Kendra Davis. Go to KendraDavis.com. You can actually follow me, connect. I have a um, newsletter, so if you want to stay in touch um, and connect with me. um, And I have several... Speaking engagement, so I'll be at different places um, actually speaking. I'm actually speaking tomorrow here in Forsyth County. Um, the Forsyth County Health Department has um, contacted me to come and speak for their group. It's called Baby Love. So, Baby Love is a program for women or families who may be in poverty, have children, and they just need a little encouragement, a little inspiration. So, I am speaking tomorrow. It's a free event at the Forsyth County Health Department on Highland Avenue in Winston-Salem. I'll be there speaking. Um, tomorrow at 12 noon so the best way for people to keep up with me because sometimes I can't keep up with myself I have to live <laughs> by a calendar is to follow me on social media I am definitely a social media techie person that I will connect and stay connected with my my audience my tribe that I serve um, so um, Facebook live the hour of power and my website is the best way to stay connected with me because I'm definitely on the move and I just believe it's hard to hit a moving target, so you got to be doing something to make a difference, to make an impact.
1: <laughs> so tell us your Facebook handle again so people can get to your Hour of Power. What's your Facebook handle?
2: Kendra Davis. Kendra Davis. If you just put in Kendra Davis, Kendra Davis Ministries, you're able to connect with me on Facebook.
1: Awesome, awesome. Dr. Kendra, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining me on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. You are such a bright light, such a bright light and inspiration.
0: Thank you so much for being with us.
2: Awesome. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. Thank you for having me, Michelle.
0: Well, that's our show this week, guys. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or michelleberard.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Make sure you tune into the show on January 24th, 2020, when my guest will be food activist Yvette Blair Lavallee. You can find us twice a month on Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central and 8 p.m. Eastern at the somewhereinthemiddlepodcast.com. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all.